Hello, and welcome to the Soulful of It podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Raquel, and today I'm joined by a nutritionist and licensed esthetician, Dana Martin, who wants to bring awareness to how skin and nutrition are intertwined and how we can help our skin from the inside out and outside in. If you enjoy this episode, please remember to go give us a five-star rating on iTunes and share it out with your networks. Okay, let's jump into this. Welcome, Dana. It is so great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. I've been really looking forward to this interview with you. And as you know, this podcast has an astrology and tarot monthly segment. So right out the gate, I'd really love if you would share with our listeners your sun sign, your moon sign, and your rising sign. Okay, so I'm a Sagittarius, a Virgo, and a Gemini, though... I don't fully understand what all of that means. So your Sagittarius sun sign, you have a moon Virgo. So your moon is located in the sign of Virgo. And then you appear to the world as a rising Gemini, which, of course, I'm a little obsessed with because I'm a Gemini rising. <laughs> I'm also sa- a Sagittarius sun sign. So we have that in common. And then a moon Virgo placement. I have so many really good friends who have that placement. My best friend Katie and also Andreas, who's on the monthly segment, has a moon Virgo placement. So those are my people through and through. (laughs) That really excites me. I have a sentence to sum you up astrologically, which is that you are the teacher, which is your Sagittarius sun, with the soul of the healer, which is your Virgo moon placement, who appears to the world as the messenger, which is Gemini rising. And today we're going to share some of your messages. I love it. So exciting. Mm -hmm. So I know that you're multi-talented and we're definitely going to talk about both areas of your expertise, but I'd love to start off by talking about your journey to becoming a nutritionist. So I'm curious, what inspired you to go to school to become a nutritionist? So my nutrition journey began back when I was in college. I was changing my diet a lot and just learning as much as I could. I was constantly reading articles and consuming as much content as I could and really trying to eat to the best of my abilities with nutrition. So that continued even though I graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and throughout my career then at my alma mater, I continued to consume as much content as possible. I was you know, drinking smoothies, which a lot of people didn't really understand what that was. Or... You were on the East Coast, right? Yes, I'm from the East Coast and not a knock on the East Coast at all, of course. There are a lot of people who drink smoothies and juices, but where I was in particular, I had a lot of people question what my green smoothie was. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't think it was going to taste good. Yeah, it didn't look like chocolate. Yeah, it didn't look like <laughs> chocolate or something else that they yeah. were eating that they were used to. Yeah. <laughs> So I eventually became disheartened in my job, and I realized I wanted to do something else. And nutrition was a passion. It was something that I was doing on the side. I was reading about it at home or on my lunch breaks. I would go to the gym on my lunch breaks. And I just realized that that was what I needed to get into. And that eventually led me to the National University of Natural Medicine here in Portland. And I went here for my master's. That's N-U-N-M. Mm-hmm. Correct. National University of Natural Medicine. Perfect. So cool. I know. It's yeah. a mouthful, but it's an amazing school. There's a lot of talented people going to that school. I happen to know one graduate, Sierra, if she's listening to this podcast, shout out to her, doc- Dr. G. <laughs> she's amazing, naturopathic doctor. Um, so many talented people coming out of that establishment. So. It is amazing. Yes. Very cool. Now, I know that there is a difference between being a nutritionist and a dietitian. And actually, I know this because you told me. (laughs) I didn't actually know before we talked about this. So I'd love if you could share with us what are the differences between those two and perhaps like why you chose to become a a nutritionist instead of a dietitian. Sure. So one of the biggest differences between a nutritionist and a dietitian is A dietitian has a four-year undergraduate degree minimum. They also have a number of hours with internship and real-life work that they have to accomplish, and they have board exams that they need to pass in order to become a registered dietitian. A nutritionist 
doesn't have those requirements really. I went and got my master's because that's what meant a lot to me. And what you're legally allowed to do can vary from state to state. In the state of Oregon, with my master's, I am allowed to be called a nutritionist and I'm allowed to give out nutritional support. I am not allowed to diagnose, whereas a dietitian is allowed to diagnose. I'm not allowed to prescribe, so I can recommend. I have the ability to speak with doctors, NDs, ask for blood work, things like that, and analyze all that and make recommendations and diet protocols and all that. But I'm also not legally allowed to bill insurance. Okay, so there are some big differences. Some big differences that can be hurdles for people who don't have that opportunity. But the big difference in why I became a nutritionist versus a dietitian, well, one, I had completed a bachelor's, and to be quite frank, I did not want to go back to my undergraduate school or any undergraduate school and, and get and become another a one and get another one. I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm dedicated, but I didn't want to spend another four years. I wanted to start on this quick. Totally. I also believe in food as medicine. I believe in a holistic truth about how we treat our bodies from the inside out. It's not just being diagnosed with something and then taking a pill and hoping that that helps us and continuing on with our potentially unhealthy habits and lifestyles. So NUNM, food is medicine. They truly believe in it. I learned a lot about science and the importance of research behind what we're recommending. We just aligned in what we believe. So we're coming at it from a holistic perspective, not just what are we putting in our bodies, but what are we doing to manage our stress? What's our exercise look like? What's our commute look like? How much are we sitting? Are we meditating? Are we doing yoga? Are we exercising? All those things. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for providing the difference for us. Now, I know when we chatted before hopping on here that you mentioned that you have PCOS. And I'm curious if you could share with us what is that and how does it affect your lifestyle? Sure. So PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome. And it is a hormone disorder that's diagnosed in about 1 in 10 women of childbearing age. With PCOS, a woman's reproductive hormones are affected, leading to an increase in androgen hormones, which are the more male-related sex hormones that we have in our bodies. For example, testosterone. Mm. So the cause of PCOS isn't quite understood, and research is still ongoing to better understand this disorder. So when you have PCOS, it's more likely that maybe a family member of yours has had it or does have it. So maybe if your mother or your aunt or your grandmother had it, you may be more likely to be diagnosed. My mother thinks that maybe she had it and she just was never diagnosed. So we don't really know. Um, but I was diagnosed several years ago back when I lived in Delaware, and it has changed a lot of my life. There's a lot of unknown about it and a lot of fear behind that. So I'm working through that. Uh, and nutrition is really, really vital in helping to manage PCOS symptoms. So some of those symptoms include insulin resistance. So similar to diabetics, where when you eat some food, your body can't process it as well. Your insulin spikes, and that insulin spiking is going to increase your androgen hormones like testosterone, which can lead to unexplained weight gain, which I had. Hirsutism, which is abnormal, excessive hair growth in areas that are not common. On a woman, that would be on her face, on her chin, on her chest, on her back. Uh, it can also lead to acne. That testosterone can cause acne. And irregular periods. Oh, wow. So it really affects a lot of different areas of your life. Yes. So one of the hallmark uh, symptoms for leading to a diagnosis of PCOS is an irregular, abnormal type period. It could be you're not getting it. You get it like nine times or less every year rather than 12. So a normal menstrual cycle every month, you're missing or it's coming sporadically or it's excessively long. It's mm. just unexplained. It's not predictable. But because of that, 
ovulation is not predictable and it can lead to fertility issues for a lot of women, which is one of the very significant struggles that a woman can experience who has PCOS that's trying to start a family or weight gain, of course, is another big concern. I had unexplained weight gain that I was like, what is happening here? Nothing has changed about my lifestyle, my exercise routine, my food, but I'm gaining weight and I don't understand. Is that what tipped you off to go to the doctor and get diagnosed for this? It was one, yes. And I was also experiencing breakouts, which I hadn't before. They were just consistent. I didn't understand what was happening in the weight gain. So yeah, I went to the gynecologist and that's where I was diagnosed. But as in the name with polycystic ovary syndrome, polycystic meaning multiple cysts. Mm. So one of the reasons that you can be diagnosed with PCOS is having cysts on your ovaries. But it should be noted that you can be diagnosed with PCOS and not have cysts on your ovaries. Oh. You can have cysts on your ovaries and not have PCOS. Oh, wow. So even though it's part of the name, it's not necessarily a diagnostic factor. Wow. Fascinating. It's crazy. There's so many different disorders out there and things that people are living with. And we need people like you who are educated on it and going through it and sharing vulnerably about your experience, but also getting educated in things like nutrition mm-hmm. and things like aesthetics to help people through this. So Thank this you. is very, very cool to hear that you have that personal connection to you're serving people who maybe are going through this, but you yourself are also going through this. So one of the questions I had for you in relation to nutrition is any quick nutrition tips that you have to offer our listeners, kind of your go-tos. So one of my quick nutrition tips would be fat, fiber, and protein, trying to get those three in every meal and every snack that you have. So fat is going to help your hormones regulate properly. It's going to keep you full for hours. Having fiber is going to also keep you full, keep you regular, and be nutrition for the gut bacteria in your body, the really good gut bacteria that we want that's going to keep you happy and healthy. And then, of course, protein is going to keep you full. And protein are amino acids, which are the building blocks of muscles and skin and everything that's in our body. We really need protein. So aiming for those three in every snack and meal You're going to feel full. You're going to feel good. Your blood sugar will be regulated. So no crashes, no sudden spikes in blood sugar. You'll feel nice and satisfied throughout the day. Is there any like go-to snack that kind of fits that bill for you that you like to have? Yeah, I always think that some kind of nut, and this is what I do. I'll have a, a nut like almonds or a nut butter and a piece of fruit. Mm. We've got fiber in the fruit. We've got a lot of really good vitamins and minerals that are coming from that fruit, antioxidants in it. We've also got protein and really healthy fat from the nuts or the nut butter. Simple, simple snack. A lot of people are already eating it, and they probably notice that they feel good after eating it. So continuing on with something like that is a really good idea. That's awesome. I love that. I eat my um, my nuts and my Snickers candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also I'm also kind of not kidding. There are nuts in a Snickers, I right? I mean, like, there are nuts in a Snickers. I'm just saying. <laughs> guys, this is why I need you on here is because I'm, I'm eating Snickers all the time. They're just so fucking good. They should, they should be paying me to talk about this, honestly. This is not a sponsored by Snickers podcast but episode. Should. But it should be. Snickers, if you hear this, give me a shout out. <laughs> cool. Great. Thank you for sharing that. If you were to recommend any specific types of food or spices that folks should be eating regularly, what would they be and why would you recommend them? And I know you just provided kind of like the daily building blocks of go-tos. Is there anything else that you think is just like a phenomenal thing to incorporate into your diet? I have two examples I can give for this. So one would be aim for whole foods, aim for fruits and vegetables, whole grains, healthy proteins. If you're eating food in its holistic form that it came out of the ground in or came from a healthy animal, we're getting really good nutrients out of that. We're not spiking our blood sugar. We're not eating artificial flavors 
or artificial ingredients from packaged foods. Mm. So we're keeping blood sugar regulated. We're staying full. We're getting that fiber that a lot of us don't get enough of. When we don't get enough fiber, our gut bacteria is suffering. Our going to the bathroom is suffering. And everybody feels uncomfortable when they don't have a regular bathroom time, right? Yeah. Another I can recommend and... Almost everybody knows about this, but it would be turmeric, and it's really because it's Eastern medicine. We've been using it for thousands of years, but there are so many studies proving the efficacy of what we already knew. So we know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it can help with blood sugar regulation. We know it can potentially help with cancer, preventing, treating, all of that, you know, anti-tumor properties. So if we can incorporate turmeric more into our diet, I don't think we can go wrong unless we have an allergy to it, unless we have some pre-existing conditions that we need to be concerned about. But turmeric is used in so many recipes now. So find a recipe. It's super simple. It's really delicious. It's a bright orange, gorgeous color, has a lovely flavor. And then always add some black pepper to it because black pepper is going to increase the absorption of turmeric. So you're really going to get even more benefit out of it. Awesome. I love that. I'm definitely going to put turmeric on my Snickers bar before I eat it next. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. So speaking of nutrition, do you have any resources that you recommend for someone who's looking to live a healthier lifestyle, specifically anything that's free and easy to get their hands on? I really like and utilize the Environmental Working Group's website, and they also have at least one app that I'm aware of, which is called Skin Deep. So Skin Deep is a service that they have where they have a list of probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of beauty products. So shampoos, conditioners, makeup, moisturizers, and brands, all different brands. And they rate them on a scale of zero to 10. Zero being green, which is good, not harmful to the body. 10 being, oh, you should maybe really put that down and not put that on. And what they're doing is they're taking a look at all the research that's happening around the world on the ingredients that are going into these products. And based off what those scientific studies are saying, they're giving a rating of zero to 10 on how it affects the body. So is this ingredient a known endocrine disrupting ingredient? If you put it on your skin for the next 10 years, is it going to be absorbed into your bloodstream and potentially cause fertility concerns? Or is this ingredient a known carcinogen? If you put this on your body, is it going to be absorbed through your skin? There's a reason I'm saying this, absorbed through your skin and going into your bloodstream and causing cancer. So those ingredients do exist and a lot of them are still used in our products today. And I really like the Environmental Working Group's uh, ability and what they're doing to do this research and try to get that information out there. In addition to Skin Deep, They have a lot of information out there on food, you know, pesticides that are being used, farming techniques that are going on, and they have a really nice list that comes out every year. One is called the Clean 15, and the Dirty Dozen is the other one. Oh, I've heard of the Dirty Dozen before. I think potatoes are on there. Yes, potatoes are notoriously not good when they're conventionally grown and conventionally grown meaning not organically grown. Yeah, I had a friend, actually Tawny, who was on the podcast for the Hair We Are episode. If you're listening to this, go check that out. She is all about organic stuff. And when I lived with her many, many moons ago, she said, always buy organic potatoes. And I'm from Idaho, so there's some there's some humor in there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but I do. I buy the organic potatoes because of her saying that and that was the reason that I had ever heard of the Dirty Dozen, which kind of blew my mind because I grew up eating potatoes and never really thinking of that or questioning it. And it's just because the knowledge hadn't been given to me. I just didn't know any better. Right. And I would second that. I would second buying organic potatoes, buying organic sweet potatoes. Uh, Those are the best ones. I know. They're so delicious. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. So I love these two lists. So the Clean 15 are the produce that you can purchase that are conventionally grown 
but they don't contain as many pesticides or the pesticides that are being used are not as harmful for your body and you're safer to be able to theoretically spend less money on that product and not buy it organic. Interesting. The Dirty Dozen is a list of produce that is grown with the worst pesticides, the most amount of pesticides, pesticides that are going to be really particularly harmful to your body and to the environment. So those 12 items of produce should really be purchased organically if that's within your budget, if that's possible. Of course, we understand that that's not always possible, but if you are trying to buy organic, if you're trying to become aware of what's going on with our farming industry and the pesticide industry, that's an easy way to know which products should I splurge on to buy organically so that I'm reducing that in my body and which are the other products that I can buy conventionally and still save some money in the grocery store. That's awesome and so useful. We're all eating. Yes, <laughs> you it, know? it really is. And I yeah. think it's a great way to better understand just how to get started because it can be really overwhelming. There's a lot of greenwashing in our products now, and people will slap something green on there that says it's clean. But in reality, there's really no regulating body out there that's controlling what is labeled clean and what isn't. So having these dirty dozen and clean 15 lists to reference are really helpful just to get someone started. Awesome. So now I'd love to ask you some questions about some of these health fads that I'm seeing all over the internet. A couple that come to mind are the infamous flat tummy tea and the hair gummy vitamins that are being pushed by influencers on platforms like Instagram. I'm curious, what is your take on those two fads in particular? Well, I think you said it perfectly in that they're fads. Yeah. And there's a lot of them out there. You know, you've named two, but there's dozens of different flat tummy teas out there. There's other hair vitamins that are out there. And really, they're all kind of doing the same thing. I actually did some research on a flat tummy tea brand, and their ingredients were okay. They chose specific herbs and spices for their antidiuretic or hunger suppressing abilities, but they're not different than eating those herbs and spices alone or drinking a different brand of tea. So same with the hair gummies. Uh, they contain a lot of B vitamins, which are found in most B complex vitamin brands that you can purchase, as well as other vitamins and minerals that are just overall good for your body and can support that hair growth and just overall health. So you can also find these in a general multivitamin. It's the same concept that we've had for a long time, just repackaged. But we're adding in maybe some artificial colors, artificial flavors, sugars, things that aren't doing our body much good. But they taste fun, they look fun, and we're going off of this anecdotal evidence here where these supplements are not really regulated. The supplemental industry is not regulated, and or it's very minimally regulated. Mm. So a lot of supplement companies can get away with a lot of stuff. A lot try to have really good practices, and that's wonderful. We need that out there. But if you wanted to create something and you didn't want to control where those ingredients came from, you don't have to. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, so the anecdotal evidence that's out there come in the form of reviews. Yeah, review culture. Yes, this review culture of, you know, oh, this tea made me lose 10 pounds. My tummy's so flat. This hair vitamin, my hair is so long and luscious and it's never been like this before. And it happened in just two weeks. And maybe that does happen, but... Probably not. <laughs> right. Probably not. Or maybe they just actually needed a B-complex in their life. Maybe this person was really just lacking those essential vitamins and minerals in their diet. And so by taking a supplement, it helped them. Which isn't that crazy. It's not that crazy. No, but you are paying a premium cost for that. And in addition to just the simple B vitamin that you need, you're paying more for it. There's sugar in it. There's maybe some dye in it. Mm -hmm. You're paying shipping costs for it. You could just roll into Fred Meyer's, go to the natural section, pick up a supplement, walk out the door. 
okay, pay for it. Walk out the door. Try not to steal <laughs> these things, guys. I know the supplements can be kind of expensive, mm-hmm. but worth it. So what do you think? You think that this is kind of just a scam that's going around on the internet? I think some can be a scam. I think a lot of companies that are out there aren't trying necessarily to be a scam. They're just capitalizing on this, what is it, a $97 billion industry that is the beauty industry. They're just capitalizing on it. That's our economy. I can't blame them. People are going to buy it. People are buying it. Right. So what my big takeaway from these fads are is... Reviews are really helpful. I'm going to look at a review to make sure, you know, hey, this bedspread is supposed to be blue, but when it arrived, it was actually more green. Yeah. That's really good to read ahead of time before I order that bedspread online. Definitely. Right? But with a lot of the beauty industry products out there, what we're putting on our face and in our bodies come from reviews. Yeah. They're not scientifically researched. You know, the product as a whole doesn't have any research behind it and we're not paying attention to what those other ingredients are that aren't highlighted so when you go on to the hair gummy website they're going to pick out the really good vitamins and minerals that are supposed to be really good for your hair growth and really good for your body and they're going to explain why and that's all true but what they're not going to pronounce to the world is that they have dyes and yeah. colors and other preservatives and sugars in there. You know, several different kinds of sugars in there. We're not paying attention to that because we are so wanting this thinness, this clear skin, this long, luscious hair that we are not questioning how we're getting it or where it's coming from and why we're consuming it. We just want it and we want it. We want to look like these people do. We want to look like the celebrities that are endorsing these products. But we're not questioning, okay, what's in this stuff? Where is it coming from? Is this regulated? And that's what I would really like to encourage people to start doing is questioning things. What are the other ingredients in here that they're not telling me about? Yeah, and if you don't know, ask somebody like Dana. Go see a nutritionist. Bring them your product. Ask them the questions. Find somebody who is educated and pick their brain on this because they're going to actually know and they're going to have no reason to lie to you. You know, it's different when you go to the website of the company and see that the company goes, yeah, all of our products are amazing. Everybody loves them. Well, yeah, duh. You're trying to sell me the product. So that's also something we were talking about before we jumped on is like people looking at this research done on a product that's funded by the company that is selling the product. So it's super biased, which is just something to be like super aware of. So I love that you bring this concept of questioning to the forefront of our minds because it's super, super important that we're aware of what we're putting into our bodies and where we're using our capital to fund companies like this, good or not, that are influencing our health as a society in a big way. Right. And I'm just over here nodding my head at all of this. So you're very right. And when we are taking the initiative to look at this research, let's also pay attention to who funded it. Yeah. Who's sponsoring it? Who are the researchers working for? Are there any conflicts of interest that are listed or not listed? It's really important to look at that so that we understand, okay, this supplement has been researched or these ingredients have been researched, but is there a monopoly on this supplement? Is there a monopoly on this ingredient? Mm. And then who's sponsoring that research? Is it really unbiased? Taking that into consideration is really important. Yeah, this is the legitimate food for thought. (laughs) So other fads that come to mind are keto. This is one that I just have, I've seen a lot of people doing it online, but I've also had a few friends that have done keto successfully. What I've noticed from people that I know personally who've done keto, they've had a lot of success in a short period of time. And as soon as they stopped doing keto, they went back to the way that they were. If they lost a bunch of weight, they gained it all back. And to me, that kind of signals that that might not be super healthy. So I'm just curious, what is your opinion on the keto diet and its popularity in our society? Yes. So... The keto diet is very controversial right now. 
a lot of pros, a lot of cons, a lot of people really promoting it, a lot of people that are not promoting it, professionals and non-professionals, the whole scope of the universe believes in it or doesn't believe in it. There are doctors and there are nutritionists and there are naturopaths that are promoting keto and then there are same scope that are not promoting keto. So to explain a bit more about the ketogenic diet, the keto diet is characterized by very low carbohydrate consumption, about 5 to 10% of your total caloric intake. So really low. And carbohydrates, a lot of us think of carbohydrates as bread, pasta. Yeah, totally. Grains. But carbohydrates include fruits and vegetables too. We we don't think about that that often. There's a carb in pickles. Yeah. There's a carb. <laughs> I was in eating a pickle everything. and I saw there was like a carb in pickles and I was like, what the fuck? Really? Straight up? Mm-hmm. Zero calories, one carb? Interesting. Yeah, you'll find carbs in drinks. So even in liquid form, there are carbohydrates. So carbs are in everything. So when you're reducing your carbohydrates by that much, you are cutting down on fruits and vegetables, which contain fiber nutrients, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Really good things. But you're also cutting down on processed flours, bread, pastas, things like that, that don't necessarily always provide us with really good nutrition. So I can understand that. But the keto is considering all of these carbohydrates. It's not picking and choosing between a good carbohydrate versus a bad carbohydrate. And it's not fun to put things into the good and bad category, but I'm just doing that for simplicity's sake right now. So initially, the keto diet was discovered to be used as a tool under medical supervision to support patients with epilepsy and seizure disorders Mm. because of its effect on the brain. Not fully understood how or why it does that, but it can reduce epileptic seizures in patients that have a predisposition or a genetic component about these or with these, I should say. So that's how the keto diet was discovered. But it was also discovered that when people went on a keto diet, they lost a lot of weight. Yeah. And so we love this idea of thinness. Mm. And we love the idea of really quick thinness. Yep. Really quick weight loss. And the keto diet can do that. Yeah, it definitely can. But is there a cost to that? My opinion is that there is. I am not completely fond of the keto diet My biggest concern is that there is a lack of research in the long-term effects of keto. Mm. They don't exist. We just don't know what we're doing to our body on a chemical level for years to come by following the keto diet for a month, two months, six months, one year. Or lifestyle change. Yeah. The keto diet is not easy to follow. It's pretty restrictive. Which is also a concern for those who have disordered eating, and that can be a big triggering point for them. And just because we've renamed something into a keto diet doesn't mean that the research, the years and years and years of research saying that a high protein, animal protein, like bacon, processed meats, the unhealthy protein, a high protein, high saturated fat diet... It's not now suddenly good for us because we've renamed it the keto diet. Those studies still exist. They're still truthful. Eating and consuming that in mass quantities on a daily basis is not good for your body, even though we renamed it and it causes weight loss. Mm, The rebrand is dangerous. The rebrand is dangerous. So I obviously cannot stop someone from doing the ketogenic diet. All I can recommend is if you're going to do it, Work with a professional. Yeah. Not with an influencer, not with someone who has tried keto and experienced success. Work with someone that really knows what they're talking about, has done their research, has some education. That's my opinion, of course. And then do it short term and then continue that weight loss journey in a more sustainable way. This diet is not sustainable long term for people to continue with. Maybe you go from if you're trying the keto out... You go to the Whole30? You can go into Whole30. Uh, Mm. The Mediterranean diet is really, I think, the most extensively researched diet with proven 
beneficial effects mm. on the body, on long-term health, on disease prevention, diabetes prevention, weight gain prevention. And so if you can transition into something along the lines of a Mediterranean diet or a diet and lifestyle that works for you. Yeah. That you feel healthy doing, that is sustainable for you to keep up long term, that brings you joy, then that means more to me than this weight loss fad. Awesome. Thank you for providing some opinions around that. This one's also really popular. I'm seeing going around, which is celery juice, people juicing celery and drinking it. I personally haven't tried it. It doesn't look delicious to me. (laughs) I heard this saying that says, the cool thing about celery is that it's 99% water and 100% not pizza, which is probably why I don't like it very much. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't heard of that, but that's funny. So what's your take on celery juice? Well, celery is a vegetable that contains a lot of fiber. And fiber is a prebiotic. Prebiotics are the food for the probiotics in our body. Prebiotics are really essential. So when we're juicing celery, we are now, yes, getting the nutrients and we're quickly digesting it, but we're missing out on all that really good fiber. So it's better if we just eat it I think versus juicing it. I think if you like celery juice and it's making you feel good, then go ahead. But I do think that being aware of a juice is going to be digested quicker. It's going to spike blood sugar levels quicker. So a oh. juice is not great for me because I have insulin resistance with my PCOS. Oh, I have to be careful with what I eat so I don't spike my glucose levels and cause my body to just go in a vicious cycle with dysregulation of hormones for me. So I think if it feels good for you, if you are enjoying it and you don't have any underlying concerns or diabetes, things like that, then go ahead. But it doesn't also hurt to just eat celery. Good tips. So you mentioned that's a prebiotic. Mm -hmm. What about a probiotic like kombucha? Yes. What do you think about that? Kombucha, I I drink it. We're in Oregon. We're all drinking the kombucha here. Yeah. That's the Kool-Aid of the fucking state, man. It's the Kool-Aid for (laughs) sure. Right. And everybody's capitalizing on it, of course. Oh, yeah. So many brands. Yeah. New brands all the time. So there's actually only one study on humans drinking kombucha. Oh, wow. Only one study. Okay, that's interesting. Right. So all of the information that's out there on kombucha and its benefits, what they're doing is the research is analyzing the individual ingredients that are found in kombucha. And it's analyzing that kombucha is a fermented product. We know fermentation can help with our gut microbiome. It can help switch that gut bacteria from bad, and I do mean bad, to good, and I really mean good. So there's good and bad gut bacteria that affect depression, disease, a lot of things. We're really starting to consider our gut our first brain and our brain our second brain because our gut really tells us a lot and controls a lot with our entire body. So kombucha needs more scientific research on its actual effects when we consume it. Right now, If you like it and it's helping you and maybe you experienced some really amazing benefits, sure, go ahead, keep drinking it. Just know that the touted benefits of it are from research analyzing the individual components of kombucha rather than its actual effects on humans. Mm, Interesting. So that's maybe 10 years we can check in about that again. In 10 years, we'll, yeah, and hopefully, I imagine it will be positive. I imagine, though... I could be wrong. Mice studies are showing a pretty positive effect, and I'm, you know, I'm so sorry, mice. I can't change that, but there are a lot of research on mice because they are very actually similar genetically to humans in so their DNA. Doing it with mice who are having kombucha. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We could brand that mice bucha. <laughs> <laughs> mice bucha. Come mice? Oh, I don't know. Poor, poor <laughs> mice. But they have good research behind that and they're showing positive effects but it takes a long time in order to be approved for human trials it takes a long time to start that research and then we have to continue that research just because one study says it's good doesn't mean every study says it will be yeah we need to take into consideration the control the variables other factors i mean 
if any scientists are listening to this and they want to find some test subjects for some kombucha, come to Portland, Oregon, because right. there's a lot of volunteers here. Absolutely. That's for sure. I mean, I'd volunteer. <laughs> I'm drinking the kombucha. Okay, this is the second to last fad question. What is your take on coconut water? I know that a lot of people are drinking coconut water, and people keep telling me I need to drink coconut water, and I'm not drinking it, mainly because I don't like the taste of it, but should I be? I don't think we need to drink coconut water all of the time. It's great at hydrating. It's got electrolytes in there. It's got really good things in it, but water hydrates us wonderfully, too. Yeah. And I think... For just going about your regular daily routine, you probably don't need those extra electrolytes. Water's going to work just fine. Lemon water, adding a little bit of salt to your lemon water, adds in some electrolytes that your body needs. That's really easy. doesn't cost much money to squeeze in half a lemon and a shake of salt. And it's a lot cheaper than coconut water. It's kind of expensive. Right. A lot cheaper than coconut water. And of course, coconut water is... I guess you could say a fad. So the market is capitalizing on it. So you're going to get a lot of sustainability questions. Where are we harvesting this from? How are we treating the people that work on these farms? How are we growing it? What are we doing to the surrounding land? But I think if you're going to drink it, it's going to be best if you're hiking, backpacking, extreme sports, exercising a lot. So a lot of sweating, a lot of... Um, electrolytes being lost during the day for you, that's where coconut water can be really beneficial. Otherwise, I think you're safe to drink some water. That's good. In the same vein, and this is the last fad question, (laughs) this has to do with all these alternative milks that are popping up. They're becoming really popular. Personally, I've been drinking almond milk. I really like hemp milk and oat milk, but I know there is also coconut milk. There is rice milk. I'm sure there's other milks that I'm leaving out. I'm just curious, on your take, is there like one that's better than the other? And are any of these just as bad as dairy and people just don't know it? Yeah. So what I'm learning is you can literally milk anything. Yeah. There's, there's now like chia milk coming out. What the fuck? Okay. Ch-ch-ch-chia. Ch-ch-ch-chia. <laughs> so that plant drink you that. grew growing up. Yeah. Yeah. You can now milk it. Interesting. So I think it's awesome though. I do. I drink alternative milk. I gave up dairy a long time ago for personal reasons same what i do want to mention is except even... for ice cream <laughs> i still do that sometimes so not fully giving oh up god dairy. and cheese sorry i'm a liar Fuck. i love cheese so okay. you have not given up dairy but that's all right <laughs> i gave up milk <laughs> let's be i gave up glasses of milk but I not see. ice cream and not cheese okay so what i want to say is even though i personally don't consume dairy There are ways to drink dairy that aren't, and I don't want to say that dairy is bad because there are just a lot of things about the dairy industry that we really should change as a whole. The way we treat the animals, what we're putting in their bodies, what we're feeding them, the growth hormones, the amount of food that we grow in order to feed these animals. Mm. There's a lot in the background that's going on that many of us may not know about that create this unhealthy industry. And then when we're drinking dairy that was grown with artificial growth hormones that was fed corn, soy that were genetically modified and sprayed with pesticides, I truly believe that is getting into their body and it's getting into their milk. I also believe that when they're experiencing a lot of stress in their life, And a lot of standard dairy farms are creating a lot of stress. They're packed in real tight. They're eating food that is not meant to be eaten, so they're experiencing a lot of pain. I believe that that stress is getting into the milk, and then we're consuming that. And so if you're going to drink dairy, I'm, you know, great. But I think there are ways to change the impact on the environment and change the impact on your body. So going for organic If you can get local, if you can find something with, you know, raised without artificial growth hormones that wasn't fed GMO feed like corn or soy that experienced daylight, ate grass, a lot of those things, humanely raised. It makes a difference. It really does. It's going to, in my opinion, make the milk healthier for you. 
But dairy gets a bad rap because there are a lot of people who end up having a dairy allergy or dairy sensitivity. And honestly, I think that's because we really are not meant to drink dairy. No. It came out of a cow for another cow, but we're drinking it. Right. I'm not a cow. We're the only animal that's really doing that, even into adulthood. Totally. Calcium is very important, don't get me wrong. But we can get a lot of calcium from other really great sources in our fruits and vegetables. Yeah. And they're not going to cause as much distress on our body that dairy may. So that aside, there are ways to have healthier dairy, and that's what I'd recommend. But all of these other milks, they all have pros and cons. Some have more protein like soy. Some have more carbs like oat milk. Oh. So keeping that in mind with picking and choosing what you're looking for, I think always aiming for something that's organic and then always looking at the ingredient list. Are there artificial flavors, artificial fragrances, artificial coloring, carrageenan? Are there sugars? Yeah. What's in it? Mm. And trying to get something with the least amount of ingredients, no sugar added, no flavors added, going to be your best bet. But Whatever milk makes you happy, I think that's great. For me, I have to limit my consumption of oat milk because there's a lot of carbohydrates in it. Mm. And I think that there is some concern around the uh, soy. Yeah. So just going for organic soy and then just being aware that there are some controversial studies and concerns out there about significant consumption of soy. But if you're putting a dash of it in your uh, your coffee every day— I don't think you're going to be negatively affected. All right. Last question for nutrition. I'm a really big coffee drinker. So I'm curious, what's your take on caffeine? Good, bad, neutral? I love coffee, but I don't drink as much of it as I used to. Mm. And that's because I was drinking a lot of it when I was really stressed. And it started to lead to increased anxiety. Yeah. Increased heart palpitations. A lot of negative thoughts in my head when I drank a lot of coffee. So I've really cut back, but I still drink it and I still love it. So everybody, I think, has a good intuition on how their body feels. And paying attention to that is really important. So when we're drinking coffee, the caffeine is being used by your body and impacting your hormones, neurotransmitter function, nerve signaling, and more. So when you already have anxiety, heart problems, or diabetes, these conditions can become worse. So caffeine also stimulates our adrenal glands, increasing adrenaline and dopamine in our brain. Adrenaline, of course, is triggered when our body is under stress, and it's why we're hearing so much about adrenal fatigue. Mm. Our adrenals are constantly working because we have this low chronic stress, low-grade chronic stress in our bodies just from everyday life. So caffeine, just being aware that that can perpetuate that issue, that concern and adrenal fatigue. And that's where you just feel exhausted. It's an unexplained exhaustion in your body, but you probably know when you have it. Yeah. So speaking with a professional is going to be really important. So being aware of that, too much coffee consumption with the caffeine, that can be a concern. Or caffeine really in anything. Yeah. Not just coffee. And there is caffeine in other things like chocolate. Right. There's some. But, you know, I'm thinking of energy drinks. Oh, gosh. The energy drink. Things is, that are loaded with that. Those things are crazy. Dangerous. Right. So they taste good, too, some of them. <laughs> I, they also have a lot of sugar and artificial flavors. Which is why so they I taste would so be good. aware exactly. of that. <laughs> exactly. So coffee is also a diuretic. So you're going to go to the bathroom a lot more. You're going to become dehydrated. So my general rule of thumb is for every cup of coffee that I have, and I usually stick to one, I also make sure I drink a glass of water in between. Mm, Smart. It slows me down from drinking a lot of coffee in a short amount of time, and I'm helping to stay hydrated. So if anybody can adapt that, I think that's helpful. I also don't drink coffee past 12 p.m. I noticed that if I drank it at 12, 1, 2 in the afternoon – I wasn't sleeping very well, mm. so I limit it to nothing past 12 o'clock. And really, that goes with any caffeine for me personally because sleep is really important for me. Uh, but coffee, of course, has amazing benefits. It has a lot of really good antioxidants. Studies have shown that it can increase longevity, brain function, and more. There are minerals. It can be 
inflammation reducing. So pros and cons. I think listen to your body. I think having some guidelines is always helpful. Yeah, I think the cutting it off by noon is a really good rule of thumb and also limiting how much how many cups you're having and then kind of double fisting with water. Those are great tips. Yeah, double fist it with a glass of water. Mm. And you know, be careful of what you're putting in it. So yeah. getting that venti latte, I'm not quite sure what all that is, but you know, I just get coffee and I add some alternative milk in it. But just be aware of the artificial colors and sugars and flavors that are going into the really fun sugary drinks. Yeah. Because th at that point, the coffee isn't really going to be all that good for you. It's like coffee, but it's not. It's, it's like, like sugar. sugar and then coffee. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Would you like a little coffee with your sugar? sugar. Totally. Yes. Okay. All great tips. Love it. So I'm going to jump into some aesthetics questions real quick and switch gears. What inspired you to become a licensed esthetician? Yeah, I became fascinated with skin. I always have have cared about what I put on my skin, what I'm putting on my entire body, and what I'm putting in my body, and they're really intertwined. Through all of my education, I mean, it is so intertwined. And I just love it. I love learning about it. I care about what the ingredients are, what they're doing, how they are being absorbed and utilized in my body, the harmful effects or positive effects that they're having. And I realized I needed to better understand this. And the only way to do that was to become a licensed esthetician. And I'm so glad I went to school for it. I learned so much. And I'm also so glad I went after getting my nutrition degree because I combined so much of those two educations while I was in aesthetic school. It was fascinating and enlightening. Awesome. And you're technically still in school because you went through basic aesthetic school and now you're in the advanced. Yes. So I'm working to become a certified advanced esthetician. Which is coming up. It's coming up. I'm almost done. In May. Yeah. End Yay. of May. It'll be really soon. So with that... Uh, Certified Advanced Aesthetics does not exist in every state. It does exist in Oregon. And with that licensure, I have learned how to work with a lot of different lasers, a lot of different treatments that go a bit deeper into the skin, cause a bit more external or internal damage to the skin, controlled, important damage. Yeah to help the skin heal. It's not just disarray damage that we're causing and hoping something happens. It's controlled damage in order to help the body's immune system react, maybe grow some more collagen, get the fibroblasts working in there, you know, create some elastin, all that really good stuff. So it's controlled damage, but it's damage nonetheless. So we really need some extra education, in my opinion, to learn how to do that in a controlled setting, learning about those contraindications that may exist, diseases and disorders that may be a contraindication or things to be concerned about and aware of when treating a client. So I've been really enjoying this program. So could you give us some differences, like maybe a couple treatments that you learned in basics school versus in the advanced schooling that are different? Yeah. So in basic, I learned microdermabrasion. Okay. And microdermabrasion is physically exfoliating the skin. Is that with the needles? That's not with the needles. That's okay. microneedling. Okay. But I learned microneedling in advance. Okay. So microneedling mm -hmm. is in advance, but microdermabrasion is in basic. Yes. For the state of Oregon, it is. Okay. And it varies state by state. It can vary state by state. California is very limited in what an esthetician can do. And I am not aware that they have an advanced aesthetics program mm. or licensure in California. Okay. In Washington, I think maybe they have advanced, but I, I can't completely confirm that. So for Oregon, in basic, I learned microdermabrasion, which is a physical exfoliation. It involves some suction in there. Uh, usually there's like a diamond tip that is creating that exfoliation, and it's done on dry skin. Microneedling, we are creating actual wounds in the skin, little tiny, almost microscopic wounds in the skin, puncture holes, really. So your face essentially becomes a wound 
Mm. at the end of the treatment. Some pinpoint bleeding can occur, though we really shouldn't see a lot. And we really need to take care of ourselves and our health. That's where a lot of my nutrition background comes into play. Let's make sure our immune system is up to par here. Let's make sure we're eating foods that are really going to support our immune system. So that it can heal. Right. And foods that can support collagen growth, elastin growth, protein growth. Mm. You know, those amino acids are really important. So that's what I mean when it's just so intertwined and I'm constantly thinking about these things as I'm learning and it's really awesome. I love it. Thank you for sharing. So I know that aesthetics school covers a lot of ground of all the things that you've learned or that you're still currently learning. Is there any favorite treatment that you have that you like to give? I really enjoy microneedling, which we just talked about. Uh, The science and the theory behind it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of really good results. The before and afters are amazing, which are better than anecdotal evidence. They're not perfect, but it's better than anecdotal evidence. I mean, something is clearly happening if I can see a difference. What would somebody have going on if they came in to get microneedling done? Microneedling is really great for scarring, mm. fine lines and wrinkles. Okay, Those are like the top three that we can really treat and really see a difference. And it would take more than one treatment in order to see those results, but they just accumulate on top of each other. What about if you had acne? Does it help with acne? We don't go over, we shouldn't go over active acne. Because that's wound already, right? It's a wound with bacteria in it. Mm, And if we're going over it, we're puncturing it. And then we're using those same needles to puncture the rest of our skin, potentially spreading that bacteria around, Mm. creating more acne. Yeah. Is there a good treatment that you guys do for someone who has acne in the aesthetics? Yeah. There are chemical peels that can be really beneficial that target the bacteria. There's LED light therapy. So and these are all advanced though? Right? Not all of them. Okay. We Some I learned chemical peels in basic, but cool. not every state does that. School, and not every school does it. Okay. I, of course, am biased, but I love my school. We learn so much and I'm certified in a lot of things now, which is really amazing. One of those is chemical peels. And I will learn a bit more about chemical peels in the future. Deeper chemical peels that can do more controlled damage. Awesome. But seeing additional benefits with that. So there's chemical peels that we can do. There's switching out products that may be causing that acne. There's hormone concerns that we may be able to work on from my nutritionist perspective. Yeah. That we can work to control that acne. And then, of course, we we can have scarring with acne. And that's where the microneedling will really help heal that. We won't ever be able to get scarring back to base zero We'll never get your skin back to where it was, but we can see significant improvement that really brings back quality of life to a lot of people. That's wonderful. I love that. I knew so little about it until just now. So thank you for sharing. I love it. Yes. So cool. So speaking of skin, summer is just around the corner and folks will hopefully be lathering up with sunscreen before going out to enjoy some vitamin D. What can you share about the types of sunscreen that are the best to use and why? First, I would recommend wearing sunscreen. Yeah. It's so important. Sun is about 90% of our aging that we experience. UV rays can penetrate clouds and glass. Whoa. Yeah. So even in Portland, we're not immune to UV rays just because we don't have a lot of sunny days. Dang. So please always wear sunscreen. I wear it even on cloudy and rainy days. It's super important. But of course, we also want to help prevent skin cancer. Yeah. And those UV rays can really do damage over time. Even if you don't have a bad burn, just constant UV damage can really affect our genetics down into the DNA. And that's where we're getting that proliferation of cells creating cancer. Even if you have really tan or dark skin too, right? The amount of melanin does not necessarily make you less susceptible to skin cancer. Mm. So when we become tan, and some of us are quicker to tan, some of us are quicker to burn. Some of us don't tan. That's me. I I personally freckle a lot, very easily. Mm. That is melanin 
reacting as a defense mechanism. Freckles? Freckles. Interesting. Defense mechanism. Mm. Trying to protect our body from the UV rays. So to sunscreens, there are physical and chemical. Mm. Physical is going to be your zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. Those are going to sit more on the surface of your skin and act like a mirror where it's going to immediately reflect the UV rays back out into the environment. So those UV rays aren't even hitting your skin. Mm. Now, we can be a little bit scared about zinc. We commonly think of physical sunscreens as having a cast or a sheen to them. They don't soak in very well, but technology has changed and grown, and we have some really awesome physical sunscreens out there. Chemical sunscreen is going to absorb into your skin. It will absorb those UV rays, but creates a chemical reaction where the UV rays are not going to cause damage, but that heat is still being absorbed into your skin, and that can potentially create damage. Mm. So my opinion is, if you can wear sunscreen, wear sunscreen. If you can pick and choose a sunscreen, go for a physical over a chemical, because the sunscreen industry, like the beauty industry, not completely regulated. So just being aware of what you're putting on your body. But a physical is going to be the best protector, I think. And if you go to the store and you buy one, it's not going to say physical sunscreen. So it's not necessarily going to tell you. So if you look at the ingredients, you're looking for zinc. You're looking for zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, which are both naturally broad spectrum, mm. which we want broad spectrum. So if it says it's broad spectrum, it probably has a combination but yeah, taking a look at the ingredients and using that EWG Skin Deep app, mm. they have a lot of research and a lot of articles about sunscreen. Yeah. Take a look at that when you're ready to buy some sunscreen or you ran out of your bottle and you need a new one. What about SPF? Does it matter if you get a 30 SPF versus like a 70 SPF? From my aesthetic education, we're going to recommend a minimum of SPF 30. Okay. When we get higher in SPF ratings, the percentage that it actually protects us does decrease significantly, but it's not going to hurt. Just know that reapplying is going to be your best bet. I will be thinking of you when I put my sunscreen on. I hope so. Tomorrow, not even, you know, or maybe later today because, I mean, it's cloudy out right now, but you're making some really good points here. Yeah, about we're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. This question is for both nutrition and aesthetics. If someone's listening right now and they're interested in pursuing an education in either of these career paths, is there any advice that you would offer to them? I would recommend choosing your school wisely. I personally moved across the country to attend a school that I knew would provide me with the education I was looking for and to just always keep learning. Education is empowerment, and just because we've stopped our schooling doesn't mean we need to stop learning. So I will always encourage everyone to continue expanding their knowledge. That's such a Gemini rising, Sagittarius sun sign thing to say. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I love it. Okay, great. And wrapping up, I've got just a few questions for you. Is there an affirmation or mantra that you're really enjoying right now? I don't have anything specific, but in general, I believe that positive thoughts are really powerful and sort of willing and creating things into existence is what I practice. So I will repeat something that I want over and over and over again mm. in my head, out loud to myself in the mirror while I'm driving. For example, taking my board exams. I repeated, I will pass my board exams. I will pass my board exams. I will pass my board exams. And maybe I'll find a fun way to say it differently because yeah. that, could, that can be a little boring. But I said it for several days leading up to taking my board exams. And I've done that with other major things in life. I really think it makes a difference for me. Of course, I am setting myself up for success and I'm studying hard and I'm doing what I need to do. But I believe that those kinds of mantras are really helpful for me. And that's what I practice almost on a daily basis. Awesome. Last question. This is the Soulful of It podcast. So I always like to ask my guests this. What are you soulful of right now? I am soulful of inspiration right now. I am 
inspired and motivated about what I'm learning, how I'm connecting all of my education, and how I can use it for growth, education, and positivity for others. And just combining this education, being on this podcast, which is so exciting, such a bucket list item for me, that I'm just so motivated for my career and I'm so inspired about what I can do. Awesome. Such a great answer. Thank you. Love that, Dana. So before I let you go, I'd love to share with our listeners a way that they can connect with you. I know you've got an Instagram and your Instagram is at nourished skin and nutrition. Okay, great. Well, that is everything I've got for you today, Dana. I definitely think that we'll probably walk out of the studio and I'll have more questions for you. So there might have to be a round two at some point. I'd love to come back. So much fun. But I just have to say thank you so much for joining me in the studio. This has been such a blast and I'm just beyond grateful to be able to bring your expertise in both of these really fascinating areas to our listeners on the Soulful of It podcast. Thank you for having me. I've had such a fun time. You've asked such wonderful questions. I've marked off an item on my bucket list and I'm so happy. I love it. All right, great. Well, thank you and thank you to our listeners. You guys have a great rest of your day. I hope it's soul filling as always and we'll catch you next time. Bye.